Hello everyone, welcome to episode 17 of Books with Jen and you may be able to hear I'm not that well but it's okay because when I recorded this episode I was fine so you only have to listen to this voice for about 30 seconds and then we'll get back to me when I didn't sound like this. This is really interesting. Okay, so <clears throat> episode 17 of Books with Jen is um, a chat with Jessica Fox who is just someone that I want to hang out with all of the time. She used to work for NASA, and then she had a dream about working in a second-hand book in, bookshop in Scotland. So she Googled second-hand bookshop Scotland, and then a bookshop in Wigtown came up. Now, Wigtown is Scotland's book town. A book town is a place where lots of people have converted their living rooms into bookshops. So there are dozens of bookshops on one street or two streets. And there are a few of them around the world, and they're absolutely fascinating places. I wrote about them in my book, The Bookshop Book. And I'd written about Wigtown in that book too. So in Wigtown, there's a place called The Bookshop, which is owned by Sean Bythel, who is the author of The Diary of a Bookseller, which is about what it's like to be a bookseller. And that came out last year. And um, when I visited, I first visited in 2012, um, when Weird Things Customers Say and Bookshops had come out. And then I went back when The Bookshop book came out as well. Um, Sean is great. He is uh, very dry, witty, but also warm uh, and a bit cantankerous, which I like. And his bookshop is absolutely amazing. It's massive. You can um, look for pictures of it online. Do that because it's great. He has a bookshop cat called Captain. And opposite his shop, there's a place called Reading Lasses, which is a feminist bookshop um, owned by a wonderful woman called Jerry, who's also a humanist celebrant. So she marries people in her bookshop. So Jessica Fox, who I'm talking to today, moved from L.A. to Wigtown and fell in love in a bookshop. And then she wrote a book about that called Three Things You Need to Know About Rockets. So I wanted to sit down and talk to Jessica today about moving from the U.S. to a small bookshop town in Scotland, but also about all the exciting projects that she's doing now, which involve science and fairy tales um, and lots of other things. No spoilers. I'll let her talk about it. Also, in this podcast, I'm giving away a copy of Jessica's book, Three Things You Need to Know About Rockets, and a copy of Sean's book, which is The Diary of a Bookseller. Um, So if you would like to win a copy of either of those books, you can drop me a tweet, or you can go to the video of this podcast on my YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com forward slash Jen B. Campbell, and it's an episode called um, Bookshops and Fairy Tales and Space. And you can leave a comment there letting me know which book you would like to win. Um, Do I need to say anything else? I think Sean pops up in this podcast. I filmed this, I recorded this rather when I was at the Wigtown Book Festival about a month ago. And we recorded this in in Sean's house. And he does pop in um, by accident to comment on the size of my microphone. So next time I'm up, hopefully Sean and I can record something together too. Wigtown is just a place that... I struggle to believe actually exists, even though I've seen it in the flesh so many times. It belongs in a film, which is quite apt, as Jessica and I will talk about today. I would love to chat to you about 
creativity and doing lots of different projects yeah. because you do those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> do too those. many. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's start. Well, it's not the very beginning, but let's let's go back a bit. What did you do when you worked at NASA? What was your job? So I was NASA storyteller. I know, um, I know. Yeah. I just love this title. I'm just like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. A lot of people told me, they're like, do you like give them apple juice and read them Goodnight Moon before yes. they go to bed? And I'm like, no, that's not what the NASA storyteller does. Oh. <laughs> um, I worked, so NASA has different campuses all over the U.S. Okay. Which means they have different centers that do different things. And the U.S. is huge. So mm. there's already massive communication challenges between, like, well, how do the people in Florida, like, who are working on one part of a mission, talk to the people in California? And each different center has their own culture. So I would say the Johnson Space Center in Texas, mm. maybe it's because of the cowboy culture, but they're really into manned missions. They okay. want to, like, put a man on Mars. They want a man to go to the moon. And where I was based out of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, they're, like, super into robotics. Okay. They're like, screw people, let's just put, like, a rover on here and a rover on here. And so you, even within the same organization, you have, like, all these different kind of cultures within NASA. You also have all these, like, really different disciplines. So you have, like, chemists and engineers and biologists and mm. administrators and politicians. So you have a lot of people speaking different languages. And so they needed communicators, people who found innovative ways to communicate. So when I say I was a storyteller for NASA, everyone thinks it's more outward facing. Like okay. I didn't do PR. I didn't like try to convince people that the moon landing really happened. I was helping scientists communicate with each other, almost like nerd whispering. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're like, let me translate this for you. I'm yeah. Pass this on to somebody or, else. or like we like hired tons of different people to come in and do workshops. We did, we hired a re like an oral storyteller and he did the first ever oral storyteller, like um, story for NASA, which was awesome. It made Buzz Aldrin cry, which I'm really proud oh, wow. of because he like is not uh, he's not an emotional man. Um, and we were thinking of doing um, film festivals. I did improv for scientists. We mm. just found really creative ways to try to get scientists to communicate better. Okay. Ways that people who are in a communication business like writing mm -hmm. might or podcasting even might take for granted that those are skills. Yeah. That is so cool. So what was it about it that made you decide you wanted to change? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's so good, why did I run away yeah. to Scotland? <laughs> um, I don't know if it was the like, heat of Los Angeles or the fact that in LA I was in traffic all the time around very new buildings and I kind of wanted to go somewhere where there's no traffic and very old buildings and it was like cold. Yeah. But I started having visions of a bookshop by mm -hmm. the sea in Scotland. And I don't know if your process of coming up with stories is sort of similar, but what I do is every morning, used to, I need to be better about this, okay. talking about creativity and doing multiple projects. Mm -hmm. Self-discipline is like a huge oh, yeah. theme. And even just time to play for yourself. I don't know if you find this too, but the more you do this as a career, the more I think people start thinking, well, what's my next project? How is this going to be? How am I going to do this? Instead of just like having studio time or play oh, yeah. time to like create just for yourself. Well, because you panic thinking, okay, I need to do stuff that earns me money now as well as stuff that's going to earn me money later. And I can't predict which one of these things is going to... But that's exactly oh. right. It's like planting a garden where you actually don't yeah. know the growth rates of all these exactly. things or like when they're going to come to fruition. Yeah. And people talk about that like second novel syndrome because when you write the first one, um, you're you're presumably not in the publishing business yet, you're not thinking about what happens to it afterwards so much, you're thinking about the creation process, but then later you're aware of, or hyper aware of all of these other things that you won't, you don't have that secret space anymore. Totally, yeah. no, that's, that's exactly right. And then 
it's in a weird, it's like, you know, you look at painters and they're like, this is my studio and here's all these paintings that no one's ever going to see. And I just play with color and I get yeah. into like things. And I was like, why not I just played with words just yeah. for kicks, you know, just like to see how they sound together or mm. even image. So what I used to do, and I really need to get back to doing it is, um, there was a great composer who I love named John Kuziak mm. and I have tons of his CDs. I put the music on, I'd sit down and every song I'd have to close my eyes and think of an image and then the moment the song changed I had to drop what I was writing and go to the like the other image that came oh, up wow, okay. and so I would go through a couple of his songs like that in the morning just to get my brain mm. sparking and then I go back through those images and I might want to explore them and like dive deeper some just are there and I don't use them again um, but a girl behind the counter working in a bookshop by the sea in Scotland with this like woolly jumper and it's like a cold day and there's like a bell above that just like kept on coming back no matter what song I played mm -hmm. like no matter what I thought about the image kept on coming back up and almost like in a movie like the more I explored the image I like got closer to the counter and I saw she was reading a book and then she like looked up from the book and it was like my face it wasn't like a character it was yeah. like my face and it freaked me out <laughs> like totally freaked me out <laughs> And I put it aside for a couple days and that feeling, that like feeling was so visceral. I know mm. what it felt like to be behind the counter and I really wanted to be there. So I typed in late one night, use Bookshop Scotland, Google. Mm -hmm. And if you're like Sean and you know Google or maybe you haven't, we hadn't thought about it that, but you call your bookshop, the bookshop. Yeah, it's going to come gonna up. It's going to come up. <laughs> well, Wake Town's the first thing you, that came up at least then when you put in use Bookshop Scotland. Mm. Um, and then once you click on the Wigtown website, which is probably made when Wigtown was founded, it was like a really basic website, but there was, it's nice now, Yeah, I should add, um, but there's, uh, there was a list of bookshops and his was the first bookshop on the list called The Bookshop. Mm -hmm. And at that time, he had his holiday cottage also advertised on his website. So in my head, I had like a whole plan. I was like, I'm going to live in that holiday cottage. I'm going to help him in the bookshop. I'm going to live by the sea in Scotland. It's going to be perfect. He's never met me yet, but He's this a, is what I'm yeah, going to do. I don't even know who this man is. <laughs> if actually, I knew he was a dude because of something he wrote, but like it could have been a lady. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a very, what I thought was like a normal email. And for some reason, my sense of normality was me writing high on my hand and like taking a picture of myself. I'm like, that sounds totally normal. It, it would be fine. <laughs> so I sent that to him. <laughs> uh, and I got like a one line response back yeah. with like no punctuation, no capitalization. And it just said, tell me more about yourself. Mm. And so I pictured him being like 80 years old. His like grandchildren would be like, that's where the F is on like the keyboard. <laughs> and like, it was like painful for him to write an email that long mm. so I tail like curtailed my tone towards this elderly gentleman who's yeah. been kind enough to let me stay can I just say like this sounds like the most American thing and the most like British thing <laughs> coming together I know it's ridiculous <laughs> and so I was like I'm very responsible I work in NASA like it's okay to let me into your home mm -hmm. for some reason I thought that was equatable um and within a couple of emails, I booked my ticket over and he seemed really nice. He was saying that, look, I have this big Georgian house. He's like, there's no heat. So be prepared. Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge literary festival on at this time of the year. And he's like, I don't need help in the shop, to be honest, but you are a writer. Like you might just want to stay here and enjoy mm -hmm. festivals. Like who does that? That's yeah. like ridiculous. Because mm -hmm. stranger just invited me to their home. And so I booked a ticket took time off, left, and when I landed in Glasgow, I started freaking out because I was like... Who is this person? I was like, yeah, I had to go through security, and they were like, who are you staying with? And I was like, um, I'm staying with a... 
person and they're like well how do you know the person i was like i met him online (laughs) and they're like have you ever met him before i'm like no and for some reason my mom questioning me didn't freak me out but this guy questioning me i was like what the (laughs) doing (laughs) um and then i arrived went down the escalator saw a guy with this like mop of curly hair behind this newspaper that he was reading or maybe he was reading like viz or the week or something and he had his legs crossed so there was like a patch in his i saw he had like holes in his trousers and for some reason that like really endeared me to this mm-hmm. person i was like i hope that's the guy mm-hmm. and he's not 80 he's like very good looking and i thought he was very good looking and like disheveled and like exactly what you hope a bookseller would be yeah and it was sean yeah so how long did you end up staying the first time around for some reason, I think I stayed a, a little over a month. Mm. I stayed through the festival. It was awesome. He's right. The house wasn't heated. It was freaking freezing. Even the shower was cold. Um, but the company was amazing. Mm. Like, Sean and I got on, like, house on fire. He had a flatmate, Martin, at the time, who I adored. And um, it was just, like, a literary Mardi Gras mm. during the festival. There was a lot of booze, a lot of interesting people coming yeah. through the shop. Um, and then I went back to Los Angeles afterward to continue my job, and I like I really missed it and it mm. took me a while to figure out like it was Sean that I missed yeah. <laughs> rather than just everything else <laughs> so you came back came back and then when did you when did you start writing the book the book oh, I'm really bad with timelines I think I started the book two years into mm. my stay here yeah three years into my stay it came about because a writer named Anna Pastanak mm. um she wrote Daisy Dooley Does Divorce. Um, she was here um, speaking at the one of the book festivals that we were, I was at, and she heard about her story. And she's like, look, I really want to write your story as, like, a little article. I think it's, like, great. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, if you it's meet... kind of mine. Well, well, also, I was just like, I was like, why would anyone be interested? I yeah. was like, well, I was like, if you make Wigtown the main character, like, I think Wigtown's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, like, talk about other people in the town and, and change names. Totally fine. And she's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, well, where is it going? And she's, she said something like the Daily Mail. But because I'm American, it's really sounded like a local paper to me. Okay. So I was like, yeah, totally fine. That's great. <laughs> and the next thing I know, it was like Sean's face, my face, like a whole article, like expose about our relationship in the Daily Mail. Yeah. Um, and then from that, I got calls from publishers and I said no to everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I, don't, I can't write. I was like, I can't write. I've had tons of English teachers tell me I can't write. I was like, no, thank you. And this one lady called me named Vanessa Beaumont. And she... That's such a publishing name. Such a publishing name. And she was just... She was... She... I don't know if it's a British thing, but she was so lovely in the way she was persistent and not taking no for an answer. Mm -hmm. She was just really nice about it, but, like, really persistent. And she also said, she's like, look, why don't we make a deal? You write the, like, intro, whatever intro you think is going to be great, and I'll tell you if you can write or not. Okay. And so I said, okay, and I did. And she's like, yeah, you can write. I want you to write the rest of the book. And I'm like, fine, I guess I will. <laughs> it's <laughs> like your homework. Yeah, like, <laughs> totally. the, the schooling you ever signed up for. <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah, that's amazing. So can you share some of your... Sorry, I feel like fav- I'm talking a lot, Jen. Sorry. But this is a podcast for you. No, this is, but... No, no, this okay. is what it's supposed... This is how it's supposed to work. Can you tell me some of your favourite... Wigtown memories of the festival or outside of the festival, mm. whatever you want to share. There is an event on at this festival called Things That Shouldn't Happen to a Book Festival, um, and it did jog a lot of lovely memories for me about being here. Um, I mean, one of the memories that I loved was um, 
there was a guy named Gibby mm. who had a mobility scooter here. He actually had a license plate that said Gibby One on the back of it. And every season, Gibby would like pimp up his mobility scooter. <laughs> so like <laughs> during Christmas, he had like Christmas lights and like a jingly hat, and you could just hear him coming down the road. That's not the person who bought the mobility scooter that Nikki bought and left outside. The no, shop. but no. that would be brilliant. Yeah. That would be a great time. <laughs> and like Gibby to me was like always the harbinger of the seasons mm-hmm. so like you could always tell like when things were about to change or autumn was about to come because, because the he, way he like <laughs> he accessorized yeah totally yeah. and so that's like a, i don't know why but the people here he's no longer mm-hmm. with us and so things like that are jesse at the picture shop um who was absolutely in love with sean she was and mm. she when i knew her she was here in her 80s she dressed immaculately she worked six days a week with her own shop um, she never let children into the shop. She was cantankerous and witty and very funny. And she adored Sean and kept on telling me every time I came in, she said, how's my boyfriend? Meaning Sean. <laughs> and she said she couldn't wait to get him into a bath and run his hands through his Titian locks. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, tell me more, Jesse. Um, she was brilliant. I miss her. Um, yeah. so I, I miss people and, um, I think about them. Some funny stories, Robert Burns, an impersonator came to the Wigtown Book Festival. He was supposed to host the Burns Supper, but mm-hmm. like out of season because it wasn't the time to host a Burns Supper. And he had something called the Burnsmobile that was like literally called the Burnsmobile on the side of his car. He also arrived wasted. Like, well, that's in character. Of, well, I, mean. I was thinking maybe he's just like a method actor. Yeah. Like he really went for it. Um, but he like stepped out of the car, absolutely Ooh. reeking of alcohol, apparently made a total bosh of the dinner but we yeah. didn't know this because we were in the author's green room at Sean's sitting room mm. waiting for his return so he came absolutely drunk made a beeline for Sean's cousin and wouldn't leave her alone all night and I don't know how he got her number but after he disappeared after offending a lot of people and sitting on another author and just <laughs> being an absolute mess we got a voicemail on her answering machine saying Hi, you know, this is Robert Burns. Um, I'm lost in a field. I can't find my hotel. And by the way, I've lost one of my sideburns. So if you find them, will you post them to the following address? <laughs> Which I just... It's one of my favorite voicemails I've ever received. It's amazing. Brilliant. That is amazing. Yeah. So just happy memories here. I love yeah. them. Can we talk about the open book? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's so it's so fun. It's so fun. So to tell tell everybody. You what should it is. do the open book. I would. We like. should get you. You, the, you booked up like years in advance. I know. I know. Well, at some point, I thought I couldn't be the only crazy American with visions of a bookshop by the yeah. sea in Scotland. I think there's got to be more of us. So um, late one night at the pub, I was talking to Finn McCrath about this idea of getting people from around the world to come over and run a bookshop. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with this idea of a bookshop holiday together. And I knew there was a bookshop, lovely bookshop called the Book Corner, two floors, lovely, on the corner of Wigtown Square, um, where the woman who owned it really didn't want to run a bookshop anymore, but mm-hmm. I think she felt a responsibility to the town to keep yeah. the bookshop open. So she was in this weird limbo. Mm-hmm. So I walked in and I told her my idea, and she was like, yes, I will offload my bookshop as long as you keep it a bookshop. Mm-hmm. And Sean's parents, I pitched them the idea, and they ended up buying the building without it being on the market wow. they were just like, <laughs> we were like all right wait we'll take it over and they worked tirelessly to bring all the bookshops from upstairs downstairs to mm. make it like a cozy really well-stocked bookshop the rest were put in storage in finn's farm and then we convert the top into a flat so now people from around the world can come and run their own bookshop it's a bookshop holiday they have full autonomy to do mm. what they want 
Um, so when you come to the Open Book in Wake Town, um, we give you the keys. Mm -hmm. You come on in. You have the whole bookshop to yourself. You can get rid of all the books. You can reprice them. You can do the window displays. You can have any open eye hours. Some people close it the whole time and just travel around town. But people really like working in a bookshop. It's very funny. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, as someone who worked as a bookseller for 10 years, I just can't get over how you're getting people to pay to run a bookshop for a week. I love it. It's totally, <laughs> it's do, do you know it's so funny? It's, um... We consider it a cultural immersion experience, yes. and not to be cheeky, mm -hmm. but um, visa-wise, I've had my own visa problems, so I'm mm. well familiar with the system now, um, and uh, you can't volunteer without a volunteering visa, mm -hmm. um, and you can't work without a working visa, so um, we can't pay them to run the bookshop, Yes, um, they can't keep any money, mm -hmm. um, they can't volunteer and do it for free, but they're paying for a holiday experience, so they're paying for a cultural immersion experience, mm -hmm. and... Um, they don't even have to run the bookshop. They can do whatever they but want. But you encourage them to do something fun if they can, something different. Yes, right? So totally. what, are, what are some of the fun things that people have done? I mean, we've had like karaoke nights with South Koreans in the bookshop. Of course, we, we, yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. We've had Brazilian wine tastings. We've had language nights. We've had a steampunk couple do a jousting um, evening where it was like biscuit jousting. Have you ever done this? It's fascinating. No, tell me Okay, more. well, late one evening when you have nothing else to do, cool. you make a very hot cup of tea, you have a stack of biscuits next to your opponent, mm -hmm. and, you, and you have to play chicken, you dip the biscuits in the tea, and whoever whiffs and eats first loses, except if you lift and, and it, breaks. it breaks, you lose automatically. Oh, wow, okay. So whoever gets the right timing if it wins. Okay, I'm going to have to try that. It's <laughs> a great way to eat a lot of biscuits, yeah. I think. Yeah. So what are you doing these days? These days, I just finished my next book um, for a, called Tales for New Age. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working at the Synthetic Biology Lab at Edinburgh University, mm -hmm. as one does. Mm -hmm. And that's where Darwin went to school. And it was part of the labs that worked with the Roslyn Institute to clone Dolly the sheep. Okay. Um, and they are doing amazing things with synthetic biology and cells. Synthetic biology is basically genome engineering mm -hmm. and creating cells to do different things and to grow in different ways and to create doctor cells for the body and just mechanically engineer cells. Yeah. So can you give us a specific Engines. example of what they're doing? So they are, um, they are looking to create doctor cells. Mm -hmm. So the cells that are programmed to do different things in the body, depending on if something turns on or off. So for like insulin regulation, mm -hmm. for example, um, I, they are looking at my knowledge of biology was ba very basic and it kind of still is, but, um, I'm in sure the, it's better than mine. In, so. in the, in the olden days, they used to have to take embryotic stem cells. Um, embryotic stem cells, the reason why they needed them, and they were controversial, clearly, because they're from embryos, um, is because the very beginning of life, um, there's like a, the stem cells are almost blank. They can mm -hmm. turn into anything. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and now what they can do, which is intense, is mm -hmm. like if you give me your hand mm -hmm. and I can flake off some dead skin cells, they can revert them back to stem cells and use those. That is really cool. Isn't it super cool? Yeah. So that's really cool. They're trying to build a completely synthetic human genome, just using chemicals. Um, they're doing tons, I mean, the, the, the center, the synthetic, mammalian center for synthetic biology is all these different labs doing mm. just incredible research. Um, they're great research into Parkinson's at the moment um, and creating neuro stem cells that are Parkinson's resistant and genetically matching your own. That is 
insane. Mm-hmm. That's really so cool. cool stuff. I only know about stem cell stuff because um, of a rare genetic condition that I have that they're doing research into. So I find this thing like really. If you want to come to the lab and talk to people, I can. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. To meet because they'll be way more articulate and know more what they're talking about than I do. Well, I think the research for this one is happening in Holland, I believe, because I think there are different centers that specialize in different things. Um, so the one that I have is called EEC syndrome, which is actually external dysplasia clefting syndrome. Which means a variety of things. So I was born with missing fingers and my hands fused together. Um, But the thing with the stem cells is that at some point, not in everybody who has EEC, but the corneal cells break down and they they think that they're a different kind of cell and they will reproduce as that, which means that I won't be able to see anymore. And they can't do corneal uh, transplants because your cornea is replaced all the time by the way your genetics is made. So it would just wipe it again um so they're doing um research into that at the moment but because it's such a rare condition there's not much funding for it because not many people have it oh that's so interesting but they're doing why they work in holland yeah i believe that it's in holland so i have a geneticist in newcastle which is where i'm from and i go to guy's hospital at the rare disease clinic um down in london um so okay so you were working in edinburgh and you've written a book about that Tales for a New Age. I would really like to see you let loose in that lab and chat to people because I think they'd like you and you'd just ask them really good questions. Um, Tales for a New Age. I love fairy tale books. Mm-hmm. Uh, who doesn't? Yeah. Yes. We don't um, want to be friends with those people. Sorry. That's no, no, all right. No, no. You can come you in. Can come in. That looks, oh, it's a Zoom. It's, yeah. What is, is, this, is this fancy? I don't know. I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they've changed. I had one oh, ages it ago. It was a massive old thing. Yeah, it was shit as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tales for a New Age is a book yeah. that I hope will be mm-hmm. a, um, like a modern fairy tale book for adults all about this weird and wacky, amazing wilderness of synthetic biology. Oh my god, I'm hooked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I interviewed 17 different scientists mm-hmm. and got them to write stories. First time ever. I mm-hmm. don't think there's any other anthology book of stories written by scientists before. Mm-hmm. And all of them have lessons or ideas or thoughts that they hope people will carry forward as we enter this new age of genome engineering and yeah, um, I don't know uh, any sign. I know there was. I think it was Simon Barraclough did a, a poetry collection called Laboratorio, where he was in a science lab and wrote poetry yes. and got in, in, input from scientists, but not stories. This sounds yeah, incredible. I, and it's really important to me that the scientists themselves did it. Yeah, wrote the stories. Um, maybe it goes back to the nerd whispering I did at NASA, but I have to stop calling it that because I don't think the scientists would really appreciate it. Um, but. I love fairy tale books, and those were those fairy tales were old traditions, then written down, and all like community specific mm-hmm. about like the lessons and emotion, like the the psychological transitions that people need to go through to grow up, um, using amazing imagery and creative imagination, and clearly they're timeless and they still mm. carry on with us today. But I uh, question about who the storytellers really need to be as we enter truly paradigm shifting times where medicine and genetics and humans as we know it are changing um, Mm. and going to change. And I would really like to see the people who are on the forefront of that 
think about the emotional lessons that we need to learn from this or think about. And I also think it's important for the public to know that the scientists themselves are thinking about these things and they're deep thinkers and they're interesting and they're creative and they're thoughtful and they're sensitive. Um, So I really wanted the scientists, scientists themselves to tell these stories, stories that they think are important that we should be reading and we need to know. So they're all over the board, different kinds of stories and tales for new age. There are some are memoirs, some are fiction, which are really fun. Um, some are science fiction, some are poetry, so all, all different kinds of things. Oh, wow. Okay, so when is this coming out? Because I need to read it now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I will give you a copy. Yes, please. It is, it's with my agent now, so we're just seeing who okay. might be interested. Because, you know, fairy tales are like my, ba- like, I am just You know they're my bag. I, lo- I studied them. You study them? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I studied in school. I studied fairy tales. Okay, we should hang out more. Yeah, we totally <laughs> we, we You know, to you know all about Maria Tatar. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. No, so I do um, a series on my channel on the history of fairy tales. And what? Yeah, I Stop! Know I Why aren't we hanging out all the time on yeah. this? Um, okay, and finally, yeah. is a film of your book happening? Is that happening? Yeah. It is I, well, happening. Well, it's happening in the Hollywood version of Happening, so it's been okay. optioned. okay. Who would, uh, can, can Lily James play you? Because that's who I would like That's to play. so nice. You're the best. <laughs> well, I just think, I just was imagining it. Yes. And ever since I went to see the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, Stop. I'm like, that's what this film is going to be. It's going to be like that. I love, I love that book. I didn't know so much happened on Guernsey. I was oh, totally yeah. ignorant. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very interesting. I like that film too. Yeah. That was great. Okay, um, so what stage are we at? So it's been so optioned. So it's been optioned. Sean and my book, they slammed them together, put them together, optioned them both. Okay. So they thought I had the romantic narrative. Sean has like the anecdotes of working in a bookshop. And, and the bitterness. And, 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 yeah. and the bitterness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The bitterness. That's <laughs> uh, very funny. Um, and uh, so it's been optioned by a company called Annapurna Pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good. They did Zero Dark Thirty and Joy and oh, American wow. Hustle and all those good things. And I don't, I can't talk about it more than that. I don't yeah. Think. Okay. Well, I'm very excited. And I Thanks, Jen. We need to get together about fairy tales yeah, like let's do pronto. That. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books with Jen. I'll be back soon when my voice doesn't sound like this. I hope that you're all well. If you do enjoy Books with Jen and you're not already subscribed, then please do subscribe. And if you've got time to rate and review, that would be amazing as well. I hope you have a great week. I'll speak to you soon. Lots of books love. Bye.